Uh, we're going to look at today, just a little bit, uh, God willing, sometime in uh, August, early August, we'll be starting a study here at 9.30 uh, in the book of Matthew. And one of the things that I had, had wanted to do uh, at least uh, a little bit this summer is, in preparation for that, talk a little bit about the history and the theology of first century, uh, of first century uh, uh, Judaism, or, or rather uh, uh, the religions or the sects of the land. Uh, so today what I wanted to do is uh, introduce you, if you do not know them, introduce you to a few of my friends. Okay? They're Pharisees. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Who, this is Yeshua's words. Who is he speaking against? You see, everybody sees Pharisees and no one sees scribes. Yeah, I know. Every A lot of people assume they're one and the same. They're not. Um, who are Pharisees? So let me just tell you first right off the bat, uh, obviously, because I put a question mark, Pharisees, question mark, good guys. Obviously, I'm going to make the point they're good guys. Who is he speaking against? He's speaking not against Pharisees. He's speaking against hypocrites. Our rabbis taught there are seven types of Pharisees. One who performs the action of Shechem. Uh, if you remember, uh, the action of Shechem is uh, um, two of Jacob's sons went in and, and slaughtered Shechem, the, the male population of Shechem, for uh, raping their sister. One who knocks his feet together, one who makes his blood to flow, flow against walls, pedestal, the pedestal Pharisee, his head is bowed like a pedestal in a mortar, a Pharisee who constantly exclaims, what is my duty that I may perform it? That is a virtue. Nay, what he says is, what further duty is it for me that I may perform it? The Pharisee from love and the Pharisee from fear. This is from the Talmud, and the Talmud records there are lots of different kinds of Pharisees. Uh, fear not the Pharisee and the non-Pharisee, but the hypocrites who ate the Pharisees, because their deeds are the deeds of Zimri, but they expect a ward like Phineas, like Pinchas. Zimri was the... Uh, Man, the prince, the, the uh, Israelite prince, who was in fact fornicating uh, at the uh, wall, at the entrance to the uh, tabernacle. And Phineas, of course, was a grandson of Aaron, who killed him. Uh, so he does the deeds of Zimri, but expects a reward like Phineas. Isn't that interesting? Uh, which is that actually the end of there of, of uh, Sota 22b actually is a reflection of what Yeshua said. Then Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What is Moses' seat? Seat of judgment. Seat of judgment. Is that a good, bad seat or a good seat? It's a good seat. I promise you. That's right. I promise you the seat of Moses is a good seat. Why is the seat of Moses a good seat? Because the people who sit in the seat of Moses tell you what is and what is not right. Based on what? They're making the side priesthood of the believer, right? Wrong. No, everybody does not get to decide. Scripture decides. Well, what's scripture? You going to use Chuck uh, Swindoll or the book of the Psalms? Uh, most people quote Chuck Swindoll, quite honestly, or others. Right? They really don't feel very comfortable with the scripture. They go to the commentary instead. So which is scripture? Which is commentary? Yeshua is speaking, saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What is he saying? He's saying they have a right to say what they say. They have a right to, what? Have a right to say what they say. In other words, they're, they're the deciders. 
quote uh, President Bush. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. In other words, avoid hypocrites. Don't copy them if they're hypocritical. But what they're saying is not wrong. Interesting. Now that is a very disturbing verse to me. And it should be to most people. That's right. Saying one thing and doing another. Now you see, the problem is that predominant Christian theology believes that the New Testament, whether they say it or not, believes that the New Testament is a contest between just Judaism and Christianity. That's why it's called the New Testament. Right? Because we've got the Old Testament. The bad guys and the good guys. The good word of God and the, well, glad he's not like that anymore word of God. Right? Absolutely not. Not only is that, not only is that, first of all, we ought to hear that kind of stuff. And obviously no one ever says it that way. They would never say it that way. Second Corinthians chapter 3 is a perfect example. You know, they look in the old and it's veiled. It's whole. You know, we like the letter and not the, we like the spirit and not the letter of the law. I'm going to offer you to, offer to you that the letter of the law is what is written. The spirit of the law is more. If the if the word says give, if the letter says give, the spirit says give more. That's right. Not the other way around. Give less. You know, well, that's the letter of the law, but I don't really have to do that. Well, no, no, it's more. Yeah. yeah you, okay, you start with the letter and then you finish with the spirit absolutely yeah uh, what we what we what we understand is this contest has biased us it has biased everyone this is not this is not gentiles alone jews and gentiles have been biased because of this 19 year 1900 year fight that is going on that is defined in some people's minds by the by the very scriptures that we use the new testament um it's why I make the point, maybe I'm a little bit, you know, too politically correct, but I make the point of always calling it the apostolic scriptures, because that's what they are. They're the scriptures written by Yeshua's disciples. And, and, and to me, that better defines it than saying the new covenant. There is no covenant within the new covenant. Did you know that? There's no covenants listed there. Because the new covenant, Hebrews 11 teaches us that our faith in Messiah is the same faith that Abel. Moses, Abraham had. So there was no new deal as opposed to the old deal. Let's look at a little bit of this, and I want to introduce you to some of my friends. And, and uh, uh, there are there are some, some our enemies are in this group as well. Don't misunderstand. Uh, we're all Pharisees, not good guys. But there are a lot of good Pharisees. Okay. Now let's look at Luke 24, verse 53. Luke 24, verse 53 says. Actually, go to verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This is after the ascension of Yeshua. From the Mount of Olives, right? He ascends, and the angels come and say, Why are you looking up? The one who went up will come back. In the same way that he saw him go up in the clouds, he will return in the clouds, which is a... Which is an, excuse me? No, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Luke. This is, this is that same occurrence, though, is what I'm telling you. Okay? Uh, Luke, Luke repeats it again in Acts. Okay, he doesn't tell you everything that happened in, in, uh, in, in Luke. Uh, but they've gone up and they've, they've seen him ascend into the clouds. And they know that he's going to return. Daniel chapter 7. He's going to return in the clouds. Okay? 
uh, from the clouds. So they go back and they and it says in verse in verse 52 and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It's not a long walk, it's the Sabbath day journey from the top of uh, from the top of the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. So they could they could do it on any day. Uh, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now if you believe it, it's true. Okay. Well, what is it? Okay. Continually in the temple. Now most. Most people read that and think, well, well, where else would they go? It's a great place for evangelism, which absolutely it was. But that's not what it's describing. It says they were continually in the temple. These are, these are code words, continually. The continual is the tamid, the tamid offering, the continual offering in the morning and in the, in the afternoon, the evening offering, morning and the afternoon offering, offering. Those are called the tamid offering. The, the continual, that's what it means, continual offering. So when it says they were continually in the temple, it meant they were participants in what was going on in the temple. That's why most theologians treat the book of Acts as a transitional book, because they're very uncomfortable with this idea. What? They didn't figure it out? Judaism was bad, have nothing to do with the temple. That's right. That's exactly right. God destroyed the temple. He didn't want people there anymore. Absolutely not. May we never think such a thing. And our first, our ancestors, our faith ancestors worshipped in the temple because they were people of faith, because they believed in Messiah, because they understood it all had to do with him. They worshipped in the temple. They were a temple sect of Judaism. And the reason why they were was because it was right, not because it was somehow an old way of doing things. It was right. In no way did they ever, and the problem, our part of our problem is, as, as some of you have heard me say before, part of our problem is we never understood the sacrifices. We always kind of got this idea that everybody's trying to go get their sins forgiven all the time, which is nonsense. It has nothing to do with what was going on in the temple. Having sins forgiven uh, eternally was never a part of the equation. You will never find that anywhere. Uh, so that's not what was going on. So worshiping in the temple was not something, it was not the opposite of believing that Messiah has died for our sins. It was, in fact, an expression of it. Uh, and uh, as we know, the Psalms, by the way, if you ever read the Psalms, be careful, you're reading a Jewish prayer book because that's exactly what the Psalms were written for. They were written for the times of offering when the Levites would sing and those who were there, the faithful in Jerusalem and from the surrounding area could go and join them and sing the Psalms to pray to God. And that's what their purpose is. So they're in the temple. Go to Luke cha- or Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Now, if you know, Acts, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the, and the book of Acts are written uh, most likely by the same person. Uh, that's what it says anyway. And uh, because of that, uh, Luke, and because of that, they are a continuation of the story. They go very well together. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, what day is that? Shavuot. Shavuot, that's right. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Who was with one accord in one place? These same ones who are, came down from the mountain and are continually in the, te- continually in the temple. Where would they be if they were continually in the temple daily? Where would they be on Shavuot? Hold up in a little upper room? Absolutely not. You will not find the word, the phrase, upper room in this passage. You won't. Why is that? We thought they were always in the upper room. 
Because we didn't want them to be in the temple. <laughs> this is what it says. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Oh, there we are. They're in the upper room. What's the word house in Hebrew? Anybody know the word house in Hebrew? Beit. And what's the word for temple in Hebrew? Beit El. Yeah, or Beit El or Beit Hamikdash, the holy house. <laughs> Guess what? The word temple doesn't exist in Hebrew. It's just the house. The house. That's what it was. And suddenly there came a sound of a mighty sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were seated. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues in the Spirit as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they, the sound occurred, the multitude came together, were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that they didn't do this in one of those narrow alleys near the upper room. There's only one place you could have, by the way, if you get the count later, 3,000 were added to their number. There's only one place you can put 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem, 1st century or 21st century, and it's the Temple Mount. Well, now we could do it in the, in the Kotel area, in the Wall area, but the Temple area is the only place you can get everybody together. So that's, what, that's exactly where they are. This is, an, this is a Temple occurrence. So what we see is this is, this is, the, this is the place of worship. And they also worshipped in homes, and they broke bread daily with one another in homes. Go to Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. My Bible says, and in prayers. Your Bible probably says, and in prayers as well. The translators, they didn't like what it said in, in Greek. So they said in prayers. No, it doesn't say in prayers. It says in the prayers. Because what it's talking about is it's talking about temple worship. <laughs> or even if not in the temple, focused on towards the temple because that's where prayers are. Does anybody know? We don't face east when we pray. We face Jerusalem when we pray. In the land of Israel, the synagogues all face Jerusalem. So that means if they're on, on the east side of Jerusalem, guess what? They face west. They don't face the sun. No, no, it's sun worshippers that did that. Judaism had been, had been taught, the Jews had been taught that sun worship, facing the east for worship, was the opposite. They would turn their backs upon the temple and face the sun to pray. And Ezekiel says, because of that, God's glory left. Because they turned their backs upon the one they worshipped, and instead of worshipped that which was created, the sun. So, this whole idea of, of, of praying and focusing towards Jerusalem, this is part of their, this is part of their, this is part of their worship. Part of their expression of faith. So, they're faithful, heaven forbid, they're faithful Jews. They're faithful, observant Jews. Right now, there are no Gentiles in this group. Praise God, he adds them later. But right now, there are no Gentiles. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Acts chapter 3, 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, you didn't have to go to the temple. But that was probably the better place to go to pray. Why? Because you're praying with a group. Everybody knows that praying by yourself is wonderful and sweet. Having communion with the creator of the universe on a, on a personal level is wonderful and sweet. But you are not here today to worship because you can just get wonderful and sweet all by yourself. Mm -hmm. You're here today because you know that God somehow, somehow 
dwells among us corporately. And that's exactly why they went to the temple to pray. These faithful two. Who are they? Peter and John. Well, shame on them. Didn't they know that Jesus stopped all that stuff? I'm, I'm speaking as, as a joke, right? No. In no way did they. Why? Because they did what their master taught them. And what did their master teach them? They remembered there in Matthew where he cleansed the temple. They remembered that he was zealous for his house. They remembered. Why did they remember this? Because Yeshua, when he was in Jerusalem, was doing the same thing. (laughs) Your master was a temple Jew. The entire gospel of John is written around temple time. That's how we get... Hanukkah from the Gospel of John. Right. Okay. Move on. Uh, actually, verse 46 and 47 there. I, I, I say, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the... What does your Bible say there? The Lord added to the what? Daily, those who are being saved. Well, as you know, that that word doesn't really mean what, it think, what you think it means. It just means the assembly. That's what the Hebrew is, or the Greek rather, behind them. Yeah, added to their number. That's actually, I like that better. But I would actually, if I were translating this, which I, I, I'm not bragging or anything, but I would simply say, I'd put what it says. I would add it to their congregation or assembly, because that's what the word means. Ecclesia is an assembly. Those called out. Added to their assembly daily. Okay. Uh, obviously, it's tried to get you to think one way. Church versus temple. Synagogue versus church. You know, synagogues are for Jews and churches are for Christians. Well, see, we're thinking 1,900 years of bias where we have two religions opposed to one another, not understanding that the scriptures have no view of two religions opposed to one another. Okay? Go to, uh, um, in other words, my, my point here is this is not a new religion. What we're, what's being described in Acts is not a new religion. It's a refining or it's a uh, enlightening. Oh, this was what it was all about. No question about that. But it's not a new religion. In no way is it a new religion. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Paul is my favorite Pharisee. Now, you might say, wait a minute. Paul was a Pharisee, but he, he, he stopped being a Pharisee when he got converted on the Damascus Road, right? Changed his name from Saul to Paul, you know, kind of like Avram to Abraham, you know, and Sarai to Sarah. You know, all these guys had their names changed when they finally they come to faith, right? No, that's not true. Paul is called Saul all the way through the book of Acts. Sometimes he's called, most times he's called Paul. What's the difference? Paul is a Greek name. Saul is a Shaul is a Hebrew name. So I'm a problem with the word Shaul. In Greek, it sounds like conceited one or prostitute. <laughs> so whenever he was being referred to by to Gentiles, he's called Paul. He's still the name Shaul. He's Shaul. That's why you hear some Messianics call him Rob Shaul. They're trying to undo that bias in their mind. It's not because the word Paul is bad. There's nothing wrong with the word Paul or the name Paul. But he didn't get his name changed on the Damascus Road. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. He didn't change from one religion to the other. He had his eyes and light. His faith was, was given to him. And he understood that Yeshua was indeed the Messiah. That's what happened on the Damascus Road. Uh, Acts 24, verse 10. Paul, Shaul, is speaking specifically about, about his life. After he's in Rome, 
people show up and say, what's going on? Everybody, everywhere we go, people are talking about this sect, this messianic sect, this way, as Paul calls it, the way. And, you know, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with you guys. And you're one of these leaders of this sect. And after some days, when Felix, oh, excuse me, this, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. This is uh, chapter 24. And after, after some days, when Felix came to his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard from him concerning his faith in, in Messiah. This is actually in, in the land still, when, before Paul has been sent to Rome. He's still under, in, under prison guard. Uh, he's been arrested. Now, as he reasoned, uh, about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have convenient time, I will call for you. Am I in the wrong place here? I'm 24. 10. Uh, hold on. Go to 10. Chapter 24, verse 10. See, I had Luke 24:53, so I was reading it anyway. <laughs> Acts 24:10. Okay, everybody there? Yeah. I'm there now, too. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, uh, uh, the land of Israel, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse, now accuse me. Paul is making the point, there's, only a, there's a group that has had him arrested. And it isn't Judaism. It is a group within Judaism that has had him arrested. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, the way, which they call a sect, in other words, other Jews considered Messianic believers to be Jews and a part of Judaism. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things which are written in the law and the prophets. I, ha I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. And earlier... He makes this plea before uh, before uh, uh, those who are uh, of the of both the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees drop basically drop the whole thing because he says what I'm being accused of is because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, which is a tenet of Pharisee belief belief in the resurrection of the dead, and immediately the Pharisees go never mind, we've got no problem with you. <laughs> We got no problem with you. Sadducees do not exist today. They kind of do in, a, in one form of Judaism, Karaite Judaism, but they really, even Karaites aren't really like Sadducees in every regard. Uh, so, the, so, so the Sadducees are, are a group that no longer exists, but during this time they controlled the temple because the priesthood was held by them. Okay? So everybody's having to, there's a struggle within Judaism between the resurrection of the dead and believing that there is no resurrection of the dead. Well, if your Messiah dies and he rises from the dead, is this not a threat to you as a Sadducee in control of the people and control of the temple? Absolutely. And every time one of these people from the way convinces a, another Sadducee or a priest, which in the book of Acts you find that a lot of the priests serving in the temple became believers, is that not a threat to you? Why? They're, they're going over to the Pharisee side. 
Well, kind of like the Pharisee side. Whatever it is, it's like a Pharisee, right? These, these people from the way are like a Pharisee because they believe in the resurrection of the dead. So it's a, it's a, big, it's a big problem for them. It's a dispute for them. Go to, now I'm going to get to where I was going to. Acts chapter... Uh, uh, actually, actually, go to 25.7 first. When he came down, the, when, they, when he came down, uh, when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about, laid serious complaints against Paul. This is what I was referring to, which they could not prove. This is again, uh, this is while Paul's in Caesarea. Uh, neither he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended anything at all. That's Paul speaking. Excuse me, anybody that ever wants to say Paul started a new religion, you need to quote Paul. Paul says, I have never spoken against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, or offended any, uh, anything at all. Excuse me, who, who, or excuse me, rather, what is the law of the Jews? The Torah. He never spoke, I'm sorry, I read the book of Galatians, he definitely speaks against it. You need to read Paul's words before you read, Paul's words here in Acts before you read Galatians. But Festus wanted to do a Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to judge before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat uh, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, uh, as you very well know. Anyway, that's where he appealed to Caesar or something that is as a huge mistake, which probably in, in human reasoning it was. Uh, he should have just uh, stuck it out maybe. I don't know. Maybe he wanted a pushing point. Uh, God used it for his glory. Uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 17, which is where I was going in the very beginning. <laughs> and it came to pass after three days that Paul gathered the leaders of the Jews together. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. So when they had come together, he said to men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go, but because there was no cause for, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against me, I was compelled and appealed to Caesar that not that I, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because... Of the uh, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with chains. Um, interesting, interesting here is who's he speaking to? Jews. And what does he say? But when the Jews spoke against it, you know, we need to be very careful with the word Jews, and we need to understand that in 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 the in the Greek and also in the Latin, Jews can be people who are ethnically of descent of Jacob, and also it can mean people who live in the land of Judea. It's the same word. And oftentimes, and that's why David Stern in his translation, his paraphrase, uh, the complete Jewish Bible, he actually uses the word Judean here because he doesn't want you to be confused. Paul's not speaking against Jews. He's speaking to Jews. <laughs> this would not be a way to make friends with them, right? He never, he never departed. Verse 23, when they had appointed him a day... Uh, uh, actually, I got far enough there. That's good enough. Um, so, I hope I made my point here that we have we have a we have a uh, we have Paul, a great Pharisee. Uh, what's different between Paul and Hillel? What's the difference between Paul and Hillel, who's another great Pharisee? Let's look at it a little bit. Um, Ezra really started Pharisees. Ezra described Ezra after the return from Babylon in the in the uh, in the fifth and fourth century uh, before Messiah's birth. Ezra the scribe started. 
uh, the system that became Pharisaism and Judaism today. And the way that he started was because he said, listen, the people don't know. They, you know, reading the Torah once a year ain't enough. They need to have houses of study, set up a synagogue system. He set up education of children from age five on in the scriptures, right? Uh, he established he established the prayer system where the common Israelite could participate in the prayers in an organized and uh, authorized way. He's the one that started it. Ezra and, and Pharisaism comes out of this in the Great Assembly time. Uh, Pharisees were made up of largely non-Levites and common folk. There were Levites who were in the group as well who believed in the resurrection of the dead. There were priests who believed in the resurrection of the dead. They were Pharisees. And that's what differentiated them from their priestly brothers who were Sadducees. Um, theologically, Paul has no shift after Damascus. None. None. Paul does not change the way that he reads the Bible after Damascus. Paul was a zealous Pharisee. In his zeal for the Word of God, he actually sided with the enemy, the chief priest, the Sadducees, his enemy, rather. He actually sided with them when he went to Damascus. He was not consistent with other Pharisees. They wouldn't have anything to do with that. Okay? And Paul, if you guys remember, if you saw, it's okay if you did, if you saw The Passion of Christ, uh, uh, Mel, Mel Brooks' movie, in the scene where Yeshua is being tried, that is probably one of the more accurate scenes in that movie, because it's not held in, 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 in the stone, in the, the, the room of hewn stone, where the Sanhedrin meets. It's held in Caiaphas' house, which is illegal for the Sanhedrin. It's not the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees all leave. They all laugh. They go, whoa, stop. This is going too far. And they leave. That's, that is accurate of what's going on. The Pharisees were not, were not the willing participants in the persecution as a group, the willing particip- uh, in the, participating in the, in the uh, persecution of early believers. So we, have, so we have this other tract of Judaism that's very much like Messianic Judaism, like the way called Pharisaism, that has been given a bad name because some are hypocrites and Yeshua points out their hypocrisy um, we have this other tract who are they what did they believe were they like us in any way were they like Paul well Paul was raised in this school Paul remained in the school of Pharisaism so some of his contemporaries are people that you won't find discussed usually in the discussion of scripture but their words written down for us in various writings extant Jewish writings actually tell us some very similar things to what we read in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and Paul's very words, very similar things where we ought to go, wait, wait a minute maybe I can have a better understanding of what Paul's saying if I know what Halil says and it's true, it's remarkably true some of the early Pharisees uh, were uh, miracle workers in the Galilee area uh, men like uh, Honey the Circle Drawer and uh, uh, later on uh, Hanania Bendosa these were pious ones who worked miracles they worked miracles like Yeshua's disciples worked miracles they healed people. They, uh, they uh, prayed in faith and received what they asked for. Uh, Honey is most known for this. Honey is a great, uh, a great person to take example from. Um, Halil uh, was, is probably one of the greatest of all the Pharisees, other than Paul, in my mind. And uh, he was a first century, uh, uh, actually it was BCE, it was before, before Messiah. He died about, when Messiah was about, probably 8 to 10 years old, something like that. Actually, I sit here 14. Uh, he was a Tana. He was a proto-rabbi. Calling him a rabbi probably is not correct, not uh, technically correct. He was originally from Babylon, and he moved to the land of Israel. Uh, so his original native tongue would be Aramaic. 
and uh, later on probably most likely he already knew Hebrew probably but whether it was conversion or not in the first century we're not sure he died when Yeshua was about 14 he was, he was both, he's renowned I mean he's renowned he's quoted a lot in the Talmud uh, and when you read him you go I like what he says in fact I do like a lot what he says and uh, um, his approach to scribble, scripture was literal although he was very gracious he understood that scripture was given as a gift to man and because it was given as a gift to man it could not be used to uh, to condemn all men simply because we don't like what you're doing you know how it is you know what you're doing is a sin what I'm doing I can justify <laughs> he tried to apply it evenly and, and he was very successful. And because of that, there's a debate. And you can read about him in the Gospels between Halil and Shammai. He's the other great Pharisaic leader at the same time. Halil is, is gracious. Shammai is mean. Well, that's the way Scripture actually presents him, and that's the way the Talmud does in a way as well. Uh, he spent most of the festival times in the temple discussing Scripture. He actually entertained him. He was, he was uh, acrobatic and stuff like that. He was actually very entertaining uh, in the temple during festival time. I know of somebody that was in the temple during festival time. And in fact, he amazed everyone by asking questions. My, my master was in the temple at festival time as a young man, and he amazed everyone. And actually, if you, if you follow the chronology, it's very likely he was in the temple when Hillel was in the temple. That was, Hillel was most likely in that very setting. Uh, his approach to scripture, like I say, was very gracious. And his gentle influence. Really, if you look at Judaism today, the good things that people see in modern Judaism are really Halil Judaism. Okay? Um, he's famous for the golden rule. Well, my master's famous for the golden rule. My master said, do unto others what you want done unto you. And Halil said, don't do unto others what you don't want done to you. It's the same thing, right? Uh, but another famous thing is he, he was able to teach the Torah while standing on one foot. A uh, man came and said to Gentile, said, I'll become, a, I'll become a proselyte. There's no way I can finish in five minutes. Now, I'll, become a proselyte. I'll become a proselyte. I'll convert to Judaism. If you could teach me the Torah about standing on one foot. He went to Shammai first. Shammai hit him with a stick. said, get out of here. <laughs> Hillel, Hillel said, here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. First and second commandments. Which is Matthew chapter 22. Yeshua does it to Right. Exactly the same thing. And then he says, and the rest is all commentary. Go and learn it. In other words, it's a summation statement. Now, see, our, our, our detractors want to say, no, 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 come on, love your neighbor's good enough. Forget all that other stuff. Well, how do I know what that other stuff is? If I don't know the scripture, what it says. Love your neighbor is a summation statement. You think you love your neighbor until you read scripture and it defines what loving your neighbor is. And then you decide, ooh, I don't love my neighbor like I think. It's real easy if you don't have the standard of scripture to think that you love your neighbor or that you love God. Scripture defines it for us. That's what, and that's exactly what Yeshua was saying. That's what Halil taught as well. His grandson Gamaliel, or uh, Gamaliel, as you read in your in your in the book of Acts, it's misspelled. Gamaliel is the grandson of Halil. You find in the book of Acts that he's very friendly to believers. Why is that? Because he's the grandson of Halil. Because he's a good Halilite. Not all the grandsons of Halil were good, but this one is. He's called Rabban. He's a great teacher and instructor. He was Paul's instructor. He actually started an academy 
His academy says it's not enough to teach scripture. We need to have our people who are very versed in the ways of the world as well, as much as we can, without polluting them. So what he did is on top of teaching them Torah, he taught them from the Greek philosophy and Greek literature. Guess what? Our Apostle Paul is in fact one of those people. And that's why he is so well versed in Greek philosophy and Greek uh, and Greek writing is because he was a disciple of Gamaliel. Uh, his, uh, another guy is Yochanan ben Zakkai. Yochanan ben Zakkai is credited with being the founder of modern Judaism. He was a contemporary, he was the same age as Yeshua. Yochanan ben Zakkai, his name is John, son of Zacchaeus. I don't know how many Zacchaeus were lived in the first century, but I bet it's not many, so who knows? Can't say for sure, but I do know that he was short. Because the Talmud says that Yochanan ben Zakkai was a short man. <laughs> so, you know, so you would assume that Zacchaeus, the short man, had a son that was a short man too. But you never know. You never know. Regardless, regardless, here's the most remarkable thing. This Yochanan ben Zakkai is a great teacher. And if you read his words, you will read words that mirror our master's words. His theology is a theology of love of God and doing good to your neighbor. It's very good, very good. Um, he had five principal disciples, and I want to just talk about one. Eliezer ben Hirakonis. Eliezer ben Hirakonis, by the way, I've got to tell you a short story real quick. Yochanan got out of Jerusalem before the destruction in, in, in 70 uh, in a coffin. Two of his disciples, uh, Eliezer was one of them, carried him in a coffin. Why did he have to get out in a coffin? Because other Jews didn't want Jews to get out because they wanted to fight to the death. The Zakari, you know Masada? The Zakari wanted to, wanted to fight to the death of the Romans. Well, not all Jews thought that way. They thought, you know, surviving is good. Life is good. <laughs> principles are important. <laughs> Survive and have your principles. And that's exactly what Yochanan did. He had his disciples put him in a coffin and smuggled him out of Jerusalem. And when they took him out of Jerusalem, they opened the coffin and Vespasian was there. who was about to, you know, at that time, about to destroy. Yochanan comes out of the coffin and said, you will be the emperor of Rome. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so when he said, you will be the emperor of Rome, he goes, and my request to you is, give me the Sanhedrin and give me Yavne. Yavne is a, a town near Lod, near a modern, uh, outside modern Tel Aviv today. Give me the Sanhedrin and give me Yavne. And he did. So he was able to reconstitute the Sanhedrin over in Yavne. So that's why they credited him with being the father of modern Judaism, saving Judaism, because it would have been obliterated. So out of that, that academy, out of that Sanhedrin, that house of, of, uh, of judgment then that was set up in uh, Yavne, we have almost all of the, the Talmud starts there. You know, all of the stuff coming out of it comes from that, come from those writings and that, and the beginning there. Um, but his, his disciple Eliezer ben Herakonis, He's a prominent disciple. He's born as a Levite. He was disowned. He is, he is a little bit younger than Paul. I know. Stop, she says. <laughs> real quickly. Just tell you about this guy real quickly. He is a good guy. He's excommunicated from the Sanhedrin. He's excommunicated from the Sanhedrin because he gets his halakha from a disciple of Messiah. He is, he is, uh, he, he, uh, he's the most quoted. He's the most quoted in the Talmud, in the, as, a, as, a, as a first century, he's the most quoted of all. He writes really good stuff. He is, he is very much like Paul, actually. Here's just a few of the things. Let your friend's reputation be as dear to you as your own. Do not provoke to anger. Repent one day before your death. 
since tomorrow may be your last day. When am I going to die? Tomorrow, well, who knows? It could be tomorrow. I better repent today. And whoever has a piece of bread in his basket and complains by saying, what will I eat tomorrow, is one of little faith. Studying these people and the words they say, give us, don't misunderstand, that's not the same as Scripture, but reading their words and understanding what they say opens the door for us to understand the Apostolic Scriptures because it's written, maybe not in the same language, Greek versus Aramaic and Hebrew, but it's written with, by the same kind of people, with the same perspective of Scripture. And because of that, we can learn wonderful things. It's why the first seminaries of the Reformation studied the Talmud because they understood they could learn more about Scripture by understanding the language. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you gave us gracious men like Paul. And we thank you also for his teachers that taught him. And Father, we thank you and praise you that you have not created a new religion, but that you have revealed to us the faith of Abraham in your word. And I pray that you might unite us all, Jew and Gentile alike, under Messiah as our King and Master. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Sorry to have